this hello everybody it's kirk henderson coming to you with an episode of kirk your enthusiasm today i am joined by let's be clear here he started with mavs moneyball he now writes for d magazine on the strong side as well you all should know him because you've been reading his posts at our site for about a year now and is talk franco how are you my man hi kirk hi i'm doing well Doing well, so uh, well, happy to take to to talk to you on the podcast after. Right, we've been trying of... to we've been trying to get together for like three days, but it's you know between time zones and real work, it's just sometimes it's a bear, and then I don't really have the. We were just talking in the show about how I'm I'm like trying to get back into regular season stuff, and it's like you know it's like riding a bicycle if you haven't done that in a while, and that just takes some practice and we'll be out here. Josh and I are going to record tonight. I'll probably do a green room and that's where you've heard his talk before. Cause he's joined those. Um, but if for anybody who, who hasn't visited the site lately, number one do, because we're going to start revving back up into uh, preseason content relatively soon. And we've been petering out kind of, you know, I don't want to say our content is boring, but let's just say we've been reaching for things <laughs> to write about. Um, and and Istock turned in kind of a, it's just a really interesting way to start thinking about basketball and particularly the Mavericks basketball this year. It's a, a piece on Luka Doncic and how his path to an MVP. And I really think that the phrase ought to be eventual MVP, not because I think, it, you know, he's 22 and it's talking about how what he really needs to uh, focus on uh, in terms of building towards that that MVP and it really starting with his play in the fourth quarter. And so not to give away the whole theme of the article, because I really want people to go read this thing. But what what led you to really this like the fourth quarter? Because I got to be honest with you. I watch a lot of Mavericks basketball and I knew the fourth quarter was rough in the playoffs. I don't remember it being as bad as the data shows in the regular season. So, so what were, what kind of led you to like go down this, this kind of data deep dive? Yeah, I, I was, like you said, through the summer, I tried to put some time away from the regular routine. So I was trying to crunch some data, playing around with some stuff, preparing for the new season, try to automate some of the analysis that I did last year Mm-hmm. So to do it better for next year. And there was this uh, this algorithm that I ran. And basically, it's uh, on scoring probability. And when you look at, uh, and it was for different, for the whole Mavericks team and then for different players. And then a thing for Luca really jumped out. And it was his scoring probability throughout the game. So from the beginning for the first second of first quarter to the, basically the last shot, the last second of the fourth quarter. And basically, there was like this peak. He starts slow, and then this is peak in, the, let's say, sometime in the third quarter, and then things start to drop. And then it, and they drop throughout the fourth quarter, and then there is a small peak at the end of the fourth again. Huh. But then, yeah, but then when I started to, because this was interesting, but then when we broke it down, two-point shots versus three-point shots, so threes versus twos, they are completely opposite trends. So the trend shows that the two-point scoring probability is like is like uh, getting better throughout the game, but then for three-point, it really drops after halftime or let's say after the fourth quarter and in the fourth quarter. And this is how I started to dig in to the fourth quarter data and then some other interesting stuff 
started to uh, let's say fall uh, out of the closet so uh, there's really it's really wild because again I want everyone to go read this this is is of of you know your pieces your pieces can range from anywhere from about 1500 to about 3000 words depending on what we go with this kind of is comfortably right in the middle where you can read it in about 10 minutes and it really flows from one data point to the next and it it you know talks a little bit about it really starts with with Luka Doncic's scoring efficiency and and I I changed the way you turned this in when I edited it because I think it really is worth standing out. So Luka's effective field goal percentage since his rookie year, it goes from 49.7 to 53.1 to 55.0. And that sort of like improved efficiency is pretty remarkable for a guy with his volume because increasing efficiency is very difficult. But you talk about how in order for really him to make the leap just across the board, you know, fourth quarter Mm -hmm. side, is the Mavericks simply have to find a way to get him better baskets. And then you also said that, that Luca should perhaps try taking, (laughs) taking fewer tough shots. And the, I'm looking at the first graph about uh, assisted versus unassisted points. And if I'm reading this right, Luca has just probably a hundred and 200 and something more points, more unassisted points than the, the second best player in this statistic, Damian, Damian Lillard. Uh, so, which is kind of ironic, and I put this in an article because when Luca came in, the question was, is he athletic enough to create his own shot? And now he's leading by a mile the NBA in unassisted shots. So, I mean, going back to what just, you said, I just didn't know it was that wide. Like in my head, I've known it's been a a thing, but two hundred points equates to anywhere from or uh, two hundred points equates from anywhere to to it's a lot of baskets. It's anywhere from 75 to 100 to 100 field goals over the course of a season, which is a lot uh, for for unassisted stuff. I just can't believe it's that high. And that, man, I'm, I don't even know where they like really start trying to work that down. <laughs> it's a lot. Yeah, I mean, it's... The, the offense as it sets now, it's mm-hmm. basically Luca and shooters. Yeah, so shooters around him. So I think, I don't think... It could. We'll see what will happen with Jason Kidd in charge of the offense, but I don't see offense changing drastically. Basically, with the offseason moves the the Dallas made, I think it's it can be even worse because Reggie Bullock, for he's a great shooter, but uh, if you look at how he's one of the worst players in the NBA in creating his own shots, so more than ninety mm-hmm. percent of his shots are assisted. So I think he's like a clone of uh, Dorian Finney-Smith or Maxi Kleber on offense. Well, we, I'm jumping around a little bit because, and I'm ju- I'm jumping around more just for my own edification than anything. Where you know, I'm looking at a, at a chart a little bit further down where it's three point percentage versus two point percentage um, in the in in the twenty in last season, basically. And you know, you you wrote in your graph, how does Luca get from where he is, which is a, sh- a shade kind of right at league average, which you know, it feels a pretty like a pretty marked improvement relative to his rookie season. But how does he get to maybe th- three percentage points higher over the course of the year, which probably equates back to like 10 or 12 made baskets over the course of the whole season? I can't do the math in my head, but it's enough to really swing things um, a particular direction. And I, I was really struck by 
what you were talking about um, in terms of the quality of his three-point looks, like what happens whereas if he's taking, you know, just a three off of a, even like a rub screen where like someone is in his defender's path, like he might not yeah. use the screen for much of anything, but it just causes that little bit. But And, and I, I, that's something else that I just don't, I just don't remember being that effective. So it's, it's, and and you you watched like all of his three point shots, so you saw a great deal of. So I don't know. I don't really have a question. What talk a little bit about when you were you know what you were seeing when you were really getting into to what was happening with this three point usage? Yeah, but before that, going back to when we were talking about the trends, how his three point shooting percentage drop, I started to check why is dropping uh, dro- uh, why is it dropping uh, so rapidly right so much in the fourth in the yeah. fourth quarter, and then. Another thing that I found out was basically last year Dallas led the league in late shot clock threes overall mm. and in the fourth and in the fourth quarter. So the five percent of their shots was like zero to four with zero to four seconds on the shot clock left were the were their three pointers. Mm. And this percentage increased in the fourth quarter. And then you don't need to be a scientist, but if you look at the stats, you can see that most of these shots are the shots that Luca is taking. So when we broke the fourth quarter down, a lot of these late, uh, late second shots were like isolation shots, where is really where we were talking before that Luca leads the NBA in tough shots, in unassisted shots, but these are then just next level. It's like step back dribble with some uh, with the hand in his face. So these are the problematic ones. And I think I remembered maybe I think you'll remember Kirk as well. I think it was like a year ago or something that where Mike Prada wrote this great article about Merrick's offense going into the fourth quarter, how everything slows down. Mm-hmm. And I think it's still connected. The Merricks improved last season. They were a little bit better in the fourth quarter, but I think the offense was still too slow. So they just go into the sets a little bit slower. It's uh, when you watch the film, Luca brings the ball up, no passing. It's like 50, only 15 clock, uh, seconds on the clock left. They do a simple pick and roll, and there, if nothing happens, then it's uh, isolation play. So these are these were the tough shots. And Luca led the fourth quarter and the whole NBA, both in regular, in total periods, but also in the fourth quarter in, let's say, late, uh, late shot clock uh, three-point attempts. And I'm really curious, and I would love to know your opinion on this, because you started tweeting about this the other day in terms of pace and sort of what Luca mm-hmm. did for the Olympics. Do we think that those fourth quarters and that, you know, it really felt like in a lot of those games that they were just trying to run the clock out. Um, they yeah. took a lot of those last second shots. I think some of that might have almost been by design because yeah. they're simply trying to use the whole shot clock because – I don't know. We can talk about Luca being in shape or not, but they really, they, I, I remember that Mike Pray. It was much starker in 1920 than it was 2021, but it was still pretty evident. I, I They simply might have more, just made more shots than the fourth quarter this year. Uh, but it, oh, it, it yeah. was real bad in, in crunch time uh, in, in the previous season. And so it's, I, I'm, I'm just kind of curious what you think as to whether that was sort of by design from Carlisle. Do we think that was by design from from you know Luca's kind of intentionality in wanting to run the clock out? What what do you think from what you were watching? Yeah, some of these shots were like Mavericks was were much better in the clutch and in the fourth quarter and overall this season than season before. So mm-hmm. there were some of these shots were when they were up by ten or eight 
and they just wanted to play slow and then nothing happens and then Luka chunks a three-pointer step back free. So some of these were there, yeah. But I would still say that I think the pace which which they played last year and this is the data that I showed and it's basically by design by Carlisle was that Mavericks were one of the sl slowest paced teams over the last five years. So they ranked in offensive uh, transition. So how much they... Uh, they get into transition play on offense, they were dead last three times out of the last five years. So this is basically a little bit by design by Carly to play slow, to control the ball, not play wild. Uh, but I think sometimes, and this is where this second shot creator, I think uh, lacking a second shot creator, uh, it's a little bit uh, hurts the Mavericks because then it's basically when it's 10 seconds, it's only Luca. And mm -hmm. uh, I think he gets tired because he needs to create all these shots. Well, this is getting off kilter a little bit from your article, but I don't care because I've wanted to ask you this mm -hmm. stuff for a while. Um, we've we've gone back and forth both in our Slack and on Twitter a little bit about, you know, the intention with which Luca plays. And I watched, um, you know, I, I, I talked with Jonathan Charks yesterday and he, he admitted that he didn't watch any of the Olympic basketball. Mm -hmm. And I was trying to explain to him some of what you and I've talked about where, Luca likes getting the rebound, but he doesn't necessarily need to push the ball up himself, as we saw in the Olympics. Like he likes to feed, like the I think he gets a kick out of high difficulty passes from you know 45, mm -hmm. 50 feet away. And the Mavericks just never ran like that. And I wonder if it's more personnel, because as much as like not to kill some of the Mavericks people, but I feel some of them have a hard time dribbling in a straight line. Um, and, and I'm just going to be very curious to see if they play with a higher pace this year, uh, because, you know, their incoming coach is not an offensive coach. Jason mm -hmm. Kidd has had terrible offenses. And so it's like, I wonder how much of a say, and hopefully it will be a lot that Luca will have in terms of pace of play, because the Mavericks, I think could, could get away with, you know, they should get easier points on the basket or on the board just by pushing it. Yeah, they are basically, these are two things I think to me also, I was wondering with Luca because before the Olympics, we didn't watch him play any other basketball than Mary's basketball. Mm -hmm. And we had, I don't know, some Real Madrid tapes, but he was a way different player then. He was 18. He wasn't the star. Right. His he, left he, hand was not what it is yeah. now. His ball handling is so much better than it was three years ago. And also on Real Madrid or even on Slovenia, yes, he was probably the best player, but the gap wasn't so wide and he was mm -hmm. still the young guy. So he respected a lot of other people. So he played off ball a lot. So these are the two questions, I think, for me, watching him on other setups than Carlisle's setup is, can he play faster and can he play with the second ball handler? So the first one that you talked about the paces in the Olympics, it was interesting because Slovenia played with... Different style. They pushed the ball a lot. So they were mm -hmm. third in pace among the 12 teams. And the film that we that we watched was a lot of the stuff happens with Luca getting the rebound and then just quick throw ahead passes. So it's not like him really running uh, the floor. And I think here it will be interesting what Kid will do because I think this is similar style that he did. Uh, here I think uh, you mentioned one thing, getting the rebound. And I think this was, if you watch a little bit, Last year was part of the chemistry issue with KP because I think they started to fighting for these uh, low-hanging fruit defending re defensive rebounds, you mm -hmm. know, because people got, get on KP so much and, like, he doesn't rebound. So I think this is one of the things we will see in chemistry because I think it was Bobby Carala on one podcast that he said that you'll see 
Luca gets a lot of these rebounds because Dallas wants him to get the rebound, which mm-hmm. is true. They want him to get the ball in his hands as soon as possible, especially if they will run more or let's say run selectively because under Carlisle, they really run. They almost didn't run. I mean, it's been such a long time since I've watched the Mavericks play with any pace. I think my personal opinion on turnovers is a little bit skewed. I mean, the Mavericks have always been a, for a long time, like top five in the league in terms of uh, lowest percentage of turnovers. Top three, and that's then. and it's entirely by design because if you're not pushing, you're not turning the ball over. I just think they, they I just sort of think they have to. It's it's there's too many there's too many offensive weapons on this team. It's like it's strange looking back to 1920 to understand that they were a uh, record breaking offense while playing a rather low pace. It, it, it's very curious to me because I'm I'm thinking about all these things put together because as you were talking, I went back and looked at you know if you look at kind of Luca's shot distribution and maybe if they're pushing a little bit more, he doesn't have to take as many shots. Um, it, it can be it, it's. It's just, there's a lot of ways they can go if he's able to do less dribbling and more because you know I know there are points in the game where he wants to control the play just like LeBron James does, but I mean just that it, he seemed to take such joy and I know it's obviously playing for the national team so it's kind of a different experience overall, yeah. but he seems to take a lot of joy from making the correct offensive play like the correct this is what i'm supposed to do the plays there you know i can make a 45 foot uh you know overhead pass to a streaker for a layup he loves that sort of stuff and frankly so did jason kidd so that's where i'm a, a little bit hopeful in the style even though the number there's like nothing in jason kidd's history to back this up but it, you know obviously he's coached different teams i don't know it's it's gonna be very i'm just i'm really intrigued to see what happens because we've gotten used to luca at a certain way but that's I think if we peel back the layers, the pace plays such a big part of it. Like, of course, his usage is going to be high if they're having him walk the ball up, run a double, you know, a, a double high screen or something, you know, whatever they're kind of, you wrote about their, their, um, their offense last year where all of their offensive design was, was meant to allow for optionality. It wasn't just if A happens, then B happens. It was, you know, a three pronged effect but it was still so dang slow. And I just, I would like to see them play with a little, with just, just I don't know, even if they're middle of the pack with pace, I think they could be a lot more, um, I think fans might enjoy that a little bit more. And I also think it might surprise teams because we know they're going to be hard to play, but that's just because Luca and KP are good. If you, what if you factor in different style, like what we're talking about? I, I don't know. I'm, I'm rambling. Sorry. Yeah, no, I agree. I think on offense, we want as long as the roster is set up as it is, like now. I don't think we'll see huge differences, but there are like some. So I don't expect Merrick's to be a running team, but I, there might be some, let's say, improvement on the margins. Mm-hmm. To be honest, I'm. This is the pace that we talked about. Maybe playing a little bit faster. Uh, maybe I don't know, involving some players. Maybe get Jalen Branson getting more. Uh, let's say opportunities to play but the part of the ball with kid that i'm more interested in this defense i think this is where dallas really struggled and if you listen to him it's talking about oh yeah the myricks will play a little bit of defense now so it's like uh, openly talking about it but i'm not sure how this roster as it's constructed now can basically play 
to the style. And this is what I'm looking with Kid, basically, because uh, last time in, in Milwaukee, he tried to do some wild stuff with uh, pressing, with switching, with a lot of very aggressive defense, which is completely opposite of how this roster is built for. So with Porzingis and, and, with Porzingis and Luca and even Hardaway, I don't think they can play that way. So this is the thing that I'm most interested about when they start playing. Sure. I mean, I'm, I'm looking at possessions per game. Now, possessions per game may not be very instructive, but for a reference point, the Mavericks were 28th in the league last year with 100 possessions per game. To get to 15th, they'd need to have 102, 102 and a half. So we're not talking about that much more movement per game but it's just it's it's in that fourth quarter alone it's just now that i'm thinking about it it just there were so many instances where we'd wonder why the mavericks would give up a big lead after being up 12 points what's because they'd go four possessions in a row where they would use all 24 seconds of the shot clock but not get a good shot at any point so of course the you know and, and other teams would be looking to press it's like like sports are a lot more um I know the data says one thing, but in terms of feel within the game, like it was just, it's almost like Carlisle was giving them a reason to tighten up. And it, that stuff kind of feeds back on itself uh, over the course of a game. So, I mean, I'm not really sure how I feel about Kid, but I will say at this point, I'm at least looking forward to seeing something a little bit different. Um, and we're going to probably find that, find that out in a hurry because we'll see how much influence uh, Luca has on what they decide to run. Yeah, no, I think... Like I said, I think offense with Luca and the personnel around him, it will be very similar to what it is now. There will be, let's say, some stylistic differences. Mm -hmm. But defense, I think, is is the thing that I'm really interested. Dallas tried. There is one wild stat <laughs> they tried last year, but one wild stat that I didn't. It's maybe uh, ruining some of my next post, but it was really wild when I looked at overall last year. Dallas lost only four games when they played above average, so league average defense. So basically, <laughs> they lost only four times when they played better than league average on defense, which means they're a great offensive team, although they were only eighth on offense last year, but they had COVID and all these kind of different situations. So to me, it was kind of even great that they were eighth, but if they can play at least average defense, they, they can be very good. I think, uh -huh. at least in the regular season. So, but I'm a little bit skeptic because I think, and I wrote about this a lot, that there are four best players. So, Luca, Porzingis, Hardaway, even Bronson are not uh, great defensive players. Or right. At least the first three are actually bad. So, it's difficult to build a competent defense if you have, uh, if you don't have defensive talent, I think. Well, I got a couple of questions before we get out of here. The first is, and this has just been on my mind the whole time I wrote it down early. Um, how many threes, and, and this is very specific, so if you don't have an answer, don't worry about it. But last year, Luca's three-point attempts went down from 8.9 his second year to 8.3. And total volume, he ended up shooting, what do we have here? Uh, he shot all, you know, within the same range, like 540 to 550 in a given year. And I'm just – I. I don't know what kind of the ideal number is for him because you talk a lot about shot quality and obviously he took a bunch of difficult ones, which sort of in my mind skews how many I think he should take because I feel like he, he really gets a, when, when he's in a game, if he misses his like first two, he just doesn't go back to it. He completely, mm -hmm. and 
He's a good shooter. Yeah, no, I think his shot, three point and the free throws, if you like, it's so unpredictable still. Mm -hmm. So last year, if you look, he started the season terribly. So it was like 9% for the first few games, if you remember. Yeah, like oh, yeah, yeah. Number. it was real bad. And he then it was around. Out, yeah. He shoots then, like 40% for the rest yeah. of the year. <laughs> and then for March and I think it was February, March or March and April, he was like more than 40%. Mm -hmm. So it was crazy. And then the last the last month, so April and these crazy games that didn't basically matter that much, he went. He was like twenty percent again. So he, he didn't have any legs in his shot, and it was a similar thing that happened in the Olympics in the last three, four games. He couldn't hit anything else, anything yeah. anymore, and he started really hot. But for example, in the playoffs, he shot more than forty percent again. So and made so many tough shots. So I think for him, I think part of it will come with physical and emotional maturity. I think my opinion because. Physical is, you can see when mm -hmm. he doesn't have the legs, you can see the shot is completely flat. And then he also loses confidence. Uh, and com confidence, if you watch him, is everything. In the playoffs, yeah. when he started hitting, he couldn't miss anything. So in, it was similar with Slovenia. It's so interesting because I, I think that the, you know, Luca is obviously covered from all angles. Luca is a top five NBA player. There's lots and lots of discussion about him almost all the time. And yet I feel that his improvement in the mid range was so undercovered and it, he, he was, I don't know where he like ranked in percentile of the league, but he had to have been in the 90s yeah, yeah, yeah. at which is preposterous compared to where he was because it wasn't just that his uh, efficiency increased, his volume increased. Like he, because he, you know, we all talked about this. He had a problem getting by guys last oh. year. It wasn't his burst just never really came in, which, you know, that'll come and go. He's so strong that sometimes I don't think burst matters. Um, but his, his mid range shots were just gorgeous. So it's so hard to, to, to write him off where you look at like, you look at his, you know, just basic statistical profile. It's like, oh, where is he going to improve? And I just wouldn't be shocked if he shows up and just a 40% three-point shooter, which is just incredible compared to where he was even three years ago. I mean, he's just – he's a savant in a true sense of the word for basketball. And Dallas fans in particular, I don't know if we really have an understanding of what that means because Dirk Nowitzki was supremely talented but worked – like that dude just lived in the gym and really realized what part, like he, his game was also really deficient compared to Luca because where he had to like build certain things where it, right now, after two years, it feels like Luca just shows up. I mean, he showed up from Real Madrid to his first year with the Mavericks and his left hand was markedly better. Like we just don't really talk about it because we don't see it. But even people that were watching the Real Madrid games talk about how much better he was because offhand dribbling, you know, guys just don't really get better at ball handling usually. And he did. And I'm just, I'm really looking forward to seeing what, what he improves with because that Olympic loss, um, those losses seem to rattle him in a way that we haven't seen. And, and <laughs> I just look forward to his drive. No, and I think it's, in a way, if you look at his career, yeah, it was like uh, incredible every year. Even this summer, what I wrote it in article, I don't know. He signed the max. He was named first team All NBA. He he was named first team Olympics. So uh, again, MVP leader. So I think 
I think he'll need to learn on a few setbacks. So I think sometimes when he really struggles and at the end of the Olympics, he did a little bit. I think this is when he'll realize he needs to improve also some other parts of his game. But like you said, I think the mid-range, I think it was one of the first articles last year after a few games I wrote and it was, I compared it like a little bit to Kawhi, although stylistic is completely different, but it's in a way getting to his spot. If he can get to his spot and make that shot, it's like unguardable shot. So I think it's very important. And we saw it in the playoffs. He started bullying uh, every defender uh, basically there. So yeah, we'll see. Uh, well, I've taken up too much of your time. I didn't mean to talk this long to you, but we got a lot of stuff we like talking about. And so this just sort of happens. So before I let you go, I'm I'm interested if in, in you letting us know what are the things, at least in terms of the things you like to watch for and write about that you're that you're kind of looking for or you know planning as much as we can plan you know to write about basketball what what things are kind of rattling around in your head that you hope to get to over the next year yeah i think there are several question marks that i'm looking forward to watch of course we talked about kids so what kind of style of play especially defense can they improve the defense with the current personnel um because kids talked about this that even with the Lakers, they were a top 10 defense when LeBron uh, and AD were out, which was true. But Lakers last year had a lot of good defenders and they didn't have many holes, uh, like I explained before. Second one, everybody, we are talking about this all the time, is KP and what he's going, how he's going to look. And I really started to think, I don't know if you listened to last JJ Reddick podcast with Blake Griffin. And Blake talked about how he was completely without legs, basically, last season in Detroit. It was such, such a funny season. And then when he got a time off, like four weeks time off before he joined Brooklyn, Brooklyn he started dunking again and, and things like that. So it made me think because KP is not 35 or he's not like completely no, short like Blake is. But I think he has an, an old body in a way that I think last year he really was never physically there mm -hmm. so uh, if this is something that if he can if he will be incrementally better like 20 30 percent with the leap that Luca made last year I think Maver um, Dallas will be very good so this is obviously uh, one of the things that I'm watching and then long term I think what happened this off season was a little bit telling I think uh, they had to resign Hardaway Jr. But my opinion, like I said before, you cannot, I don't think it's a long-term solution to have both uh, the, the the three of Luca, uh, Hardaway Jr. and KP play together. I don't think they fit. So it's probably long-term something will need to change uh, in this trio. That's, I'm, I'm, like, I think they're going to be a bear to play in the regular season, but I think they've not addressed a single playoff hole. Um, mm -hmm. And you know, maybe this is the because I think they could have beat Denver last year. Utah would have been interesting. It's that's what's so challenging, and I get it. Where they're a flawed team, but because they have one of the best players on the planet, that tends to cover a lot of flaws. But then that player can't have a forty-five percent usage rate, and because that just that also wouldn't have sustained. I think yeah. that we don't talk about that enough. He was playing so well, but he also like to expect him to play at a high level for two months at a forty percent usage rate. Like he would have burned out at some point. Like yeah, the efficiency this is what, was. 
this is what happened in the Olympics because people probably don't know, but Slovenia started, they had to pre-qualify for the Olympics. Yes. So they started one month before and they had like tough tournament in Lithuania. So they beat Lithuania, which was the game that really matters. But they started training, competing one month before everybody else. So I think at the end of the Olympics, you could see that uh, the the burden on Luca was just too much. So he was uh, he was not on the level that he was in the, the first games. And the teams just started to focus, like throwing zones, doubling and all this stuff, which will happen until Dallas finds uh, another guy on the field yeah. that, that will be able to attack the gaps and create uh, his own shot. Well, thank you so much for coming on. I think if the Mavericks actually do the thing that we're kind of secret, it's not so secret. Like I think all of us at this point are, are hopeful that Goran Dragic finds a way to to make it with the Mavericks. And I think if 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 he actually becomes a Maverick, that changes both the the team geometry, like how they play, but it also changes the team chemistry. And there's a lot I think you and I have you and I have talked about it personally, but there's no reason to really get into it on a pod until we until it matters. But if that happens, I think we should bring you on um, sometime later, probably right right around when the season starts. Um, but otherwise, we're going to need to have you on a little more during the year. It was a little difficult last year with just game after game after game. There's yeah. just no time. And I'm really looking forward to being able to overreact to games for longer um, this year in between stuff. <laughs> yeah, so, so and, we're, we'll, and, and it's kind of my goal. Um, and Josh, you can do this too. If you actually listen to the podcast, you can have guests on and I cannot podcast. Um, <laughs> Uh, just I, I love needling Josh because I know he doesn't listen to these either. Um, but this is this has been fun. Thank you so much for taking time out of your night because I know the time difference doesn't make it easy. Yeah, thanks, Kirk. Thanks, and looking forward for the next one. That's right. So you can find his talk at Dallas uh, at D Magazine. Uh, if you look up the the name of their stuff is the Strong Side, um, run by uh, our friend Mike. They've been doing some new fun content about all sorts of Dallas sports, and then of course. He writes probably at the rate of like every two weeks, Mavs Moneyball, um, lots of different stuff, lots of different entry. And I'm really, the fact that you've taught yourself some of this coding language, um, hopefully it'll make uh, some of your data work a little bit easier um, because I know that that, that is, is like writing is one thing, but like then making sure all your math is correct is something else. And so yeah, this has been great. Thanks again. You got anything else before we head out? No, no. Looking forward to the next season. And how many? We have like 30-something days. Yeah. So, yeah. And uh, we're going to start preview coverage next week for a lot of our kind of uh, rote content. But we have some fun stuff. I know our guy, uh, Luke Eskew, is right, is, he's writing a series of pieces on how the Mavericks match up with who he thinks are the contenders. Um, they're fun little kind of sort of smarmy pieces. We're going to have bunch of round tables where people give their thoughts on specific ideas we're going to do division previews like we have like 25 writers and so you know i just i like coming up with stuff for people to write because mm. otherwise everybody wants to grab the same idea and i'm like no just you know give me let's 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 find a way to mix it all up um so this has been kirk henderson and this talk franco you can uh rate and review our podcast that sort of stuff really helps um eventually i'm going to start asking folks to leave review questions and we'll do that um otherwise uh you know our podcast schedule will continue to be uneven until the season starts but i'll try my best everybody have yourselves a great rest of your day